Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our Truth Partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a Truth Partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth, and thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. Amen. Now, before you're seated, how many of you attended one of the other services? We got a few Christians here. Amen. Thank God. Well, good. I know my audience now. All right. Turn to the one beside you and say, you look like you've lost some weight. Come on, tell them that right now. And they're going to love you for that. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this is the third service, and we've had two great services. People have been saved, lives have been changed, and it's been wonderful. And what a joy it is to be here. My, this is just a great church. The music is just, just wonderful. This building my, is the coolest venue I think I've seen anywhere. And the pastor of this church and his wife and family, they're truly, you couldn't have a better pastor in all the world. How many agree to that? Amen. Matter of fact, you're, you're just a bunch of spoiled rotten brats. That's what you are. How many like to be spoiled? All right. You know, uh, it's kind of nice to be here. I better identify myself. Because when I go through the airports traveling around and wherever I go, I can see a couple over there talking and they point at me and then they talk and point again. Finally, one of them gets enough nerve and I know what they're going to do. They walk up to me and they say, Sir, did anybody ever tell you that you look like Jerry Jones? <laughs> now, Jerry Jones, for you less spiritual ones, is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And everybody said, Boo. Yeah, all right. Well, this happens all over the country, but the other day was a new chapter. It was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, waiting to be picked up at a restaurant for church. And this lady walked up to me and said, I knew what she was going to say. Did anybody ever tell you you looked like I was ready for? I said, Brad Pitt. <laughs> now, it hurts me when you laugh that way. I want you to know that. She said, no, you remind me of President Biden. And I said, come on, man, you know. I mean, this thing is getting out of hand. But I want you to forgive me if I'm just a little melancholy here. You, you know, the third service, you get a little slap happy about the third service. But forgive me if I'm just a little overcome with sentimental melancholy. Because next month, I will celebrate my 86th birthday. And it means that I've been preaching the gospel for 70 years. I started when I was 16 years of age. I've traveled around the world many, many times. In fact, I have 6 million miles just on American Airlines. And the other day, they sent me the highest award that you can get 
I'm that guy that gets on the plane before everybody else that you hate. I'm now a concierge. Very few people in their lifetime, I mean, there might be one now and then that you see get on the plane. I don't know how I got it. I didn't apply for it. They just sent it to me. So next time you see a guy get on there, don't get mad. I'm just say, Pastor Barnett is also. I want you to treat me a little more respect. I am now the concierge. Amen. I, I don't think you're responding to it. All right. I've been married to the same old gal for 59 years. Amen. Wow. <laughs> oh, I always say I'd rather fight than switch. All right. On my 80th birthday, we had a very special day at our church, and they brought in many friends from around the country, and one of them was the president of Southeastern University, for which I am the chancellor, and he got up and said, we want a commission today, Pastor Barnett, writing his memoirs, his life story. So starting in eight, when I was 86 years ago, we started writing this book entitled, What If? Now, it's not a book of regret where you look back and say, what if I'd have done this? What if I'd married this certain, certain person? What if I'd gone to this college? But this book is a look down at the future. You see, God speaks to people in many different ways. Some people, they hear voices from God. Other people have visions about their life. Other people of them, well, they just are led different ways. But in my case, the way that God speaks to me is he opens an opportunity. And I say to myself, this could just be God. I'm not sure. So I'm going to go down this road and just see if it's God's will. That's what happened when I saw a bus one time. And I, I said, I'm going to buy a bus. And I'm going to bring kids to church. And we started bringing kids to church. Then about two, then three, then ten. I ended up buying 47 buses, bringing in 3,000 children to the house of God. Another time, the head of the Assemblies of God came to my office and said, I believe that God has called you to go to L.A. Uh, we have everything but a great church in L.A. And I thought, I don't know, I'm pastoring church here and I don't, at that time, there were no campus churches. I didn't know how it could be pulled off. I prayed about it for five years, and then God finally convinced me, and I said, Lord, I'm not sure if this is you or not, but I'll never know unless I go. And we went. And today, the Dream Center is 15 stories high, the Queen of Angels Hospital that we bought. Think of this, it has 1,400 rooms in it. And people there, we have drug addicts, we have prostitutes, we have human trafficking gang, we have gang members, and that's just the pastoral staff. Amen. <laughs>
So today we have over 250 beds for human trafficking, women alone. And we're building a place now that will take care of 400 more. We're the largest human trafficking ministry in America. A lot of people start it and they, they rescue people, but there's no place to put them. The real job is when you take care of those women. I mean, they, they come in drugged up, they're mad. I mean, they'll fight you, all kinds of things. If you, if you, if you just have a burden, it'll leave you. You better be called if you're doing that kind of work. So that's what we're doing at the Dream Center. And this book right here, uh, John Maxwell called me the other day and said, somebody gave me your book. He said, I don't read them. I just usually read the first chapter because everybody, if anybody knows books, it's John Maxwell. He said, I start reading your book and I could not stop. And he said, it inspired me like few books I've ever read. And he began to tell everybody all over the country about it. I think we got 30 books left from, that we brought with us. You've been buying them, and it's great. Thank you. I think it will change your life. So stop by, and I'll quickly sign. i got to catch a plane later on today. And that means I'm not going to preach long. And everybody said, come on. You're out of here. This is a rough crowd, brother. Amen. But stop by, I'd like to put, sign your book and I'm going to give you a big hug if you stop. Uh, if you're not a hugger, buy it and run because I'm going to tackle you right out there and hug you right in the, in the lobby. Well, that's all I got to say about that. Have you ever heard about somebody say, well, I'm a self-made man? Well, I'm not a self-made man. You see, I'm a product of what I've seen, what I've heard, and what's been imparted to me. When you see the guy up here, you see a little bit of Oral Roberts. He'd come out every year and spend a week with me, and he'd be writing a book or just resting. During the daytime, we did something very religious. We'd play golf, amen. At night, we'd get in the Word, and Oral Roberts taught me the principle of seed faith, that you have to sow to reap. You have to give if it's going to be given. So when you see Tommy Barnett, you see a little bit of what I gathered from Oral Roberts. When you see the man up here, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho, pastor of the largest church in the history of the world, over 700,000 people in one congregation. Think about that. Dr. Cho, I've been on his board for 30 years. I've preached conferences with him all over the country, preached at his church, and Dr. Cho taught me the value of building a great church. The bigger the church is, the more it can influence the community. So when you see the man up here, you see a little bit of Dr. Cho. When you see this man, you really see a lot of a guy by the name of Herschel Barnett, my father. He taught me things that nobody else could teach, like integrity, telling the truth, being right, and living right. So I'm a product of what I have seen and so what I've heard. And so today's lesson that I give is not a sermon, it's not a teaching, it's more of an impartation. Because I feel that when I get my age, people want to hear what I've seen, what I've heard, and what has been imparted. Have you ever, first of all, I'm going to talk to the women. 
Hey, women, if you ever want to take the dishes and just take them out of the cabinet and throw them against the wall. I mean, grab the drapes and yank them down. Pour sand down the sink. Drown your husband in the bathtub. Amen. Never make a bed as long as you live. And all the women said, Amen. Amen, while driving to work. How many of you ever stopped and said, I think I'll just keep on driving? <laughs> and by the way, I think I'll stop at the office and just punch the boss out. Amen. <laughs> Leave a note to your wife saying, find another one. Trade your wife for a good old bird dog and hunt and fish and play golf the rest of your life. Never work again, never shave. Let me talk to pastors just a minute here. Have you ever wanted to shoot the sound man? <laughs> Be careful what you want, who you want to shoot. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to trip the music director as he came across the platform? I mean, turn up the air conditioning as high as you can and just let the grandmas gripe. Turn up the sound. Well, let me move on. Amen. And just, just say you can have the whole thing. Never work again, Pastor. Never shave. Never raise another budget. When I think about quitting, I think about Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Hey, if you've ever wanted to quit, you're in good company. The list of those who wanted to quit reads like history's Hall of Fame. Jeremiah the prophet wanted to quit. Matter of fact, he did for a while. Got himself a little cabin by the side of the creek, but he made a mistake. He began to read the word of God. And the Bible said a fire begin to burn within his bosom. Abraham, who was called a friend of God, recession came, a pandemic came, and the friend of God wanted to quit. Peter, who walked on water, when Jesus was being crucified, he denied the Savior, denied the faith, denied the church, and even cursed God and desired to quit. Martin Luther crawled up St. Peter's Cathedral on his knees, saying the just shall live by faith. And this group of, of ministers said, if you keep doing that, preaching the just shall live by faith, we're going to kill you. And Martin Luther wanted to quit. John the Baptist, who the Bible said there was no one greater except for Jesus, in prison, ready to be beheaded. He sent a runner to be sure that Jesus was the Son of God. And what about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of all great preachers? He writes in his book, and history shows, that this great man who at the age of 18 built the greatest church in all of England died at 56, a depressed man who wanted to quit. Winston Churchill in the midst of the war when Germany was dropping bombs upon England, this strong man stood up and said, never turn back, never turn back. 
And yet if you read his biography, he had bouts of depression that made him want to quit. In fact, all the great men and women that I have known at one time or another consider quitting. Needless to say, I am not a great man. But I too have wanted to quit. And yes, so have you. And so has anybody that's ever done anything for God. And so I'm going to preach you a message today that, well, Jensen Franklin has me to preach about every four years. And especially churches have been calling for me to preach this message coming out of the pandemic. I want to talk to you about quitting. I want to make four statements about quitting that could change your outlook on life. So here we go. Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Because successful people are the only ones who can quit because they got something to quit. Several years ago, I drove into a city to speak. And as I drove to the venue that night, I came across a big field full of only foundations. It looked like some builder had started a bill, run out of money, or for some reason stopped. But if you looked in the corner, you could see a house that had been built and now burned to the ground. And I said to myself, I would rather be the house that burned than the house that was never built. One of them at least fulfilled its purpose for a while and the other never fulfilled its Hey, I just wanna take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our truth partners. If you're interested in being a truth partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select Truth Partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you, it's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. And I have more respect for somebody who tried and started and failed than those who never attempted in the first place. Could I get a good amen? amen. Statement number one. Wanting to quit is a sign of success. Statement number two. The more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. The higher you go, the more frightening it becomes. And the more you want to quit, the higher you go, the more dangerous it becomes. The lonelier it becomes. The colder and the riskier and the friendless it becomes. So statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Statement number two, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. But this third one is my favorite one. Matter of fact, it's so special, it belongs to me personally. I don't think I'm gonna give it to anybody else here today because it's on my own personal one. So let me move on. No, I guess I will, all right. You can enjoy the luxury of wanting to quit if you know you're not gonna quit. Well, Pastor Barnett, how do you know that you're not going to quit? Because I have never quit. Amen. Now, I've wanted to quit, but I've never quit. I have in my billfold right here an American Express card, and I've had it since 1962. Most of you were not even born then. You have to pay it off every month you, or you lose it. So 
I have good credit. I can borrow money because of my record. Matter of fact, I'm told on this credit card, you can borrow a million dollars on the credit card. So consequently, I got good credit. <laughs> now, if you've never quit, and I know what my record is, therefore it doesn't bother me if I want to quit. So I can say to myself, I just like to quit without worrying because I know I'm not going to quit. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, I wanted to quit. My first church in Davenport, Iowa, I had 76 of the meanest Christians in that church had ever seen. Just to get an example, I had to use that scripture. Be not dismayed by their faces. This little church you see up here, it would see less than 100 people. This church up here, we sold it for $10,000 in the property. The total income of my first church, this church, was $25,000. Not my salary. The total salary for the year. Uh, not salary. Income for the year was $25,000. After they paid the bill, if there's anything left, they gave it to me. Now, that was my first church. Well, pastor, did you want to quit? Yep, but I didn't quit because I'm never a quitter. On my 60th birthday, to raise money to buy the Queen of Angels Hospital, where we ended up with the Dream Center, as I mentioned, 1,400 rooms and all the things that were going on there. We needed a lot of money. So to raise money, I ran on my 60th birthday from Phoenix to L.A., 436 miles through the desert. Now, I lost all my toenails. I had blisters all over my feet. They swelled from nines and a halves to almost twelves. I'd get up in the morning. The alarm would go off about five o'clock. And you'll say, Pastor, I know what kept you going. It was your love for those little children in L.A. that got you up. Can I be honest with you? At five o'clock in the morning when that alarm went off, every kid in L.A. could have gone to the booger man. I didn't care. Amen. <laughs> You see, a burden will not keep you going. A lot of people want to come to L.A. They hear about human trafficking. A lot of girls, especially women, they're really touched by this human trafficking thing. They want to do something about it. But by the time that one of those girls spit in your face or call you or call your name, or you want to reach the gang members in L.A., about the time someone puts a gun to your head, as they did Matthew and say, I'm going to kill you and then kill myself and make a statement. About that time, the burden leaves. About the time somebody gives you half of a peace sign, and I'm not, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that one. The burden leaves and the call is gone. Every Sunday morning, when I'm back home, of course, it's different here. And the alarm goes off. And I get up. Every Monday morning after Sunday, and I am trying to recuperate, I wake up in the morning and say, I think I'll quit the ministry. But before I quit, I'm going to have one cup of coffee. Sometimes I have to have two cups of coffee. 
Coffee's kept me in the ministry. Come on, say a good amen. See, the point I'm trying to say is this. Until the anointing kicks in, we got coffee, amen. Pastor, have you ever wanted to leave your wife? Have you wanted to quit? No, I'm not. No, I never wanted to leave her. I wanted to kill her, but not leave her, amen. I'm a killer, not a quitter, that's right. But I have cut the word quit out of my dictionary. Literally. Literally, if you get one of my dictionaries in my office and turn to quit, it's not there. So the question is, how can I keep from quitting, Pastor? I love God, but I get discouraged. Let me give you three things real quick. Number one, you got to burn the bridges behind you. When my son became the pastor in L.A., he was 21, single. He took a church that was 40 people they gave us, all precious, wonderful Filipino people. They were all over 80 years of age, some of the sweetest people in the world. But most of them really didn't speak even good English. Didn't speak English. And here I was, Cindy, a single young man who couldn't speak the language to minister to people four times his age. And I said to him when he became the pastor, son, since you're the pastor, you cannot date the girls in the church. Of course, there wasn't much danger. They were all over 80, amen. <laughs> but I said, you cannot date the girls. But I tell you what, on your day off, you can catch a plane. Phoenix is very close to L.A. Come over and spend the day with us. And we've got a lot of good eligible girls there. And you can have a normal childhood, you know. But he never came. One day I said, I said, why don't you come? He said, Dad, if I came home, I'd want to stay home. Because Matthew fought every demon you can imagine. The one I mentioned about, he, that was just the start. Every demon in hell that guy has fought in L.A. But he burned the bridges. He burned Phoenix behind him. Number two, if you don't want to quit, don't tell anybody you want to quit at the time. Because they just might take you up on it. It's been said that even a rat deserts a sinking ship. You can tell them after the fact, after you've been encouraged. But don't tell them why you're discouraged. Because they might take you up on it. Number three, don't expose yourself to what you don't want to be because you will be in the next 10 years one of three things. The people that you hang out with. So don't run around with people in the church who have that billy goat religion, which is we love our church but. And they butt people around for the next few minutes. Hang around people with big ideas, big dreams. Want to do something for God. People that love God with all of their heart. And the fourth thing you'll be, you got to, oh, the third thing you'll be in the next 10 years is the books that you read. So read great gospel books, but most of all, start it with the Word of God. You can increase on the Word of God. Number four, if you don't want to quit, lock yourself in so you cannot quit. Not too long ago, my wife and I went to L.A. 
And uh, I picked up the paper and read that the Phoenix Suns basketball team was playing the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, if you don't know who the Phoenix Suns are, they're God's team. Amen. <laughs> sons. Sons of God. You know. If you don't know who the Lakers are, uh, they're the team from down under. And I'm not talking about Australia either. Amen. Let me tell you how I feel about the Lakers. If they played the Taliban, I'd, play, I'd pull for the Taliban. That's how I feel about it. How many will pray for me? I said, honey, tonight we're going to go to the basketball game. She said, no, we're going shopping. I said, no, honey. Tonight we're going to see the Phoenix Suns play the Lakers. She said, no, we're not. We're going shopping. Being the men of the house that I am, I put my foot down. And I said, we are going to see the Lakers and Sun play basketball. And she said, no, we're going shopping. We went, Abraham Lincoln once said <laughs> that he wanted to paint his house brown and his wife wanted to paint it green. So they compromised and they painted it. Yeah, you men know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we went shopping. Why, I told her that my mind was made up, but she told me her heart was fixed. And there's a difference. David said his heart was fixed. It is said of him that he served his generation in the will of God until he fell upon sleep. And by the help and grace of God, that's what I want to do. So lock yourself in so you cannot quit. Every week we have a, a staff meeting. For years, I had a little form that they filled out. How many people they'd led to Christ this week? What was the projects they're involved in? How many visits did they make? How many phone calls they get? So and so. At the bottom of this sheet, I had this saying. Great men and women are just ordinary men and women that wouldn't quit. They had the same temptations, but they just kept on going. An illustration, and I'm finished. On our 30th anniversary at Phoenix First, that a special day to honor us. Early in my ministry there, for some reason, I'd forgotten all about it, but I was preaching and talking about what I wanted to do, the travel I've taken and the different planes and how they got more part. And I said, before I die, I want to take that Concorde jet that flies to England. Now, it's no longer in operation, but that plane trip would get there about two and a half, three hours from New York. And someone remembered that. And on our anniversary, they gave us a plane trip there to London. By the way, it kind of bothered me. It was a one-way trip. You know, <laughs> you're, you're slow, but you're worth waiting on. Amen. <laughs> we had a wonderful time. When I came back, I went to L.A. because I go there two days a week to help them there. And when I landed at the airport, and I got off, there was a big, long, black limousine in front of the airport. And they said, get in, Pastor. I said, oh, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. 
So we drove a few blocks away. They stopped and said, get out. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. They led us out to a jet helicopter and said, get on. And I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. The lady flying the jet helicopter took off. And we began to go across the great metropolis of L.A. And then we came to the coast, and I kept on going out into the blue Pacific. And soon I couldn't see L.A., and I couldn't see anything in front of me, just the blue Pacific. And I said to myself, they're going to bury us out here. <laughs> but then I saw a little speck of land. It was Catalina Island. The plane circled and landed. There was another little limousine that picked us up, drove us around the island. We saw the sights, took us to a little restaurant, and we had a little lunch, took us back to the helicopter, and back to L.A. we headed. But when we got to the coast, the, the plane banked and went up the beautiful coastline of L.A. And soon we came to Santa Monica, and when we got there, it made a right turn. And we're flying now over Beverly Hills. And the lady flying in the helicopter said, if you look right down there, you'll see Liberace's mansion. Wow, that's amazing. We flew a little further and she said, if you look down there, that's Steven Spielberg, the movie maker. That's his compound. Amazing. We flew a bit further and said, if you look down there, that's a Playboy mansion. And of course I went, I just had an itch in my eye there, don't you know that? <laughs> they banked again. And now the plane is just hovering, looking at the Hollywood sign. It banked again and went right down through the skyscrapers of L.A. and end up, we're right downtown, the Dream Center, on top of the building at the Dream Center. I went down and there was that limousine again. They drove us to our place to say, and said, tonight we will pick you up at uh, 6, 6.30 and we'll take you to the service. So that night my wife and I came back down and there's that black limousine. Now we'll make something plain. I don't like the limousine. I'm embarrassed when they pick me up in a limousine. That's not me. But my wife is different. <laughs> she feel like she was created for the limousine. You know, and so they picked us up in the limousine, and we drove to church. When we got to Sunset Boulevard, which is two blocks from the church, they stopped and said, get out here. We said, why don't you let us out in front of the church like you always do? And they said, well, the traffic is so big, we're going to let you out here. So when I got out and we turned the corner, I learned the real reason they let us out. For, for two blocks, there was a red carpet all the way to the Dream Center. And on each side, there were thousands of people. And they had signs, we love you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Maria. We love you. And they were cheering. They were screaming. They were jumping up and down, throwing confetti in the air. And the first group that was there was those guys in discipleship. They're the guys that are out of prison. They have arms as big as my biceps. I go visit them every week at the Dream Center. 
I hit them on the shoulder. If they hit back, I got a scripture. Do not touch the anointed. Amen. Thank God. I shake their hand. I give them a big hug. I talk to them about football and more spiritual things like football. Amen. And these big old guys who come in, tattooed, earrings, rough. Now they're like little boys. They're screaming, we love you, Pastor. Tears streaming down their cheeks. They're hugging me and hugging and my wife. And as we walk through that deal, I'm now weeping. We go a little further. And here's the women's discipleship. These are women that are brought to us. Many times their teeth are all knocked out by evil men who mistreat them or decayed from drug use. First thing we do is get them pearlies. We get them white teeth. And these old women would always cover their mouth when they talk to you now. They smile. And they're weeping when I go through. They're jumping up and down. Pastor, we love you. The same woman would not look you in the eye. Now they line up for a hug. We walk a little further. And there's another group. These are teenagers, the kind that would blow a school up. They can't get back in school, so they bring them to the Dream Center. By the way, they give people a choice. They can either go to prison, these men and women, or they can come to the Dream Center. And these kids can either go to reform school, or they can come to the Dream Center. And when they come, they are mean. They're terrible. But we just love them. We make them live by the rules. And these young people get on fire for God. And really, it's young people that's leading the revival in our church. And those same young people, that wouldn't even look at you. Now, we love you, Pastor. We love you. They're jumping up and down. We keep on walking. And I walk into Angelus Temple. That's where we have church. If you know anything about history, it was built by the famous woman pastor, Amy McPherson. She was the most popular woman of her days. She was like Billy Graham. She raised more money during the war for war bonds than anybody in the world, politician or otherwise. And they gave us this place for our church. It's worth millions of dollars. Two stories. Seat four to 5,000 people. And we walked in the door. And the place was filled. The balconies packed and jammed. People were holding up signs. We love you. They're screaming. They're jumping. They're throwing confetti. It, it was unbelievable. And I looked over at my wife, and mascara was pouring down her cheeks. She looked like the grapes of wrath. I mean, it was a not pleasant sight. And as I looked at her, my mind went back to the first time I met her. My uncle had been killed. He was a pastor in a, in a train that had hit him on the tracks. The church was in disagree and asked me if I would come and spend three months till they got their feet on the ground and got a pastor. The first week I was there, I stood up to preach. And just about the time I was ready to preach, the door opened up and the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life Later found out she was from Sweden. Beauty uh, contested in, in, in the national show. 
and she walked in. I tell you, I've never preached as good as I did that night. And I preached to one woman, that beautiful lady on the back row. And when I gave the altar call, she came to the altar. And I felt led to pray with her. Amen. Somebody had to do it. Amen. And I stayed there three months, and my aunt, I never could date girls when I was evangelist. It was just not a good idea. But now I could. And she gave me permission. And for three months, I fell in love with her. And at the end of three months, I would not recommend that, but I was always preaching. It was my real big chance of life. I said, honey, she came over to fly for Scandinavian Airlines. And I said, honey, forget Scandinavian Airlines and come fly with me. And she did. It was rough. She was raised by an atheist family who, good people, but they didn't believe in God. One day God spoke to her and said, if you'll go to America, you'll find God. In the first week she's here, she walked in, found the Lord. It was so rough getting her used to it because the women couldn't look nice back then like they do now. The church is very legalistic. And she was very stylish, you know. So we decided to be good for me, for her to spend, and myself, a couple years at my dad's church as one of the pastors to get her kind of used to it. She was doing good. They could hardly piss anything. So in the morning, I trimmed trees. It's a hard job. In the afternoon, I sold oil at an oil store. And at night, I did ministry. Remember, before that, I'd been preaching some of the best revivals in the nation. Young evangelists. One morning, I, I went to the door to leave to go trim trees, and there was my wife with her suitcase. I said, what are you doing? She said, Tommy, I'm a millstone around your neck. I love you with all my heart. But I'm a hindrance. I've tried so hard to be a good pastor's wife, but it's so strange. And I said, no, you're doing good. And she was. I said, you can make it, honey, please. But weeping and sobbing, I had to take her to the airport. I watched the plane take off and head to the West Coast where she had some relatives. It was the longest, roughest day of my life. I thought my dream is over now. It was nighttime, and I'd crawled in bed, and I know I'd lay there, but I wouldn't sleep when the phone rang. And it was her, Maria. She said, Tommy, I think I made a terrible mistake. Can I come home? I said, how about right now? I watched her walk out of that plane. I embraced her, and we headed to the parking lot. And before I turned on the key, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we joined our hands together, and we prayed this way, Dear God, we're going to make this work. We're not going to back down. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, we won't quit, and we made a vow to God that we're going to work through this thing. 
And I looked at her on the stage. And here she came across the platform like this. And she put her arms around me and put her cheek next to mine and whispered in my ear. In her Swedish accent, told me, I'm so glad that we didn't quit. You see, if we'd have quit, there wouldn't have been a Luke who now pastors the church as a lead pastor in, in Phoenix. There wouldn't have been a Christie who adds up human trafficking all over the nation, my daughter. There wouldn't have been a Matthew and there wouldn't have been a Dream Center and over 250 of them in America if we had quit. You say, Pastor, we're so glad you didn't quit. Okay? Then don't you, don't you quit. Don't you quit on that son or daughter. There's still hope they'll come to God. Don't you quit on your father and mother. Don't you quit on that husband. He's a rowdy reprobate now. Don't you quit on that wife who doesn't want to serve God. But most of all, don't you quit on God because he never quit on you. And I felt led at this last service. I had planned to do it the second service. But the Holy Spirit said no. And I've never given into the service without an altar call to those that don't know God. And some of you here, you once knew God, but you quit on Him. You're away from God. There are others in this building never come to the Lord. But boy, he went to Calvary. He laid down his life. He bled and died. He suffered like no person could ever suffer for you. Don't reject him. Don't quit on God. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Just before I close this service, I'm going to pray. I want to pray for everyone in this building. You'll say, Pastor, while you spoke a rather unusual message. It's, it's really, as I said, not a sermon, it's impartation. But Pastor, I need God. I'm not sure that I'm right with God. Maybe you, you kind of backslidden condition, you quit on God. Maybe you just never known the joy of giving your life to someone who died for you and who'll guide you and lead you and give you a life like you've never experienced. You look up here at an old guy, 86, with a zest to live. I want to live. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And yet you're strong, you're healthy. You've got a mind like a lawyer, a body like an athlete. And yet when the alarm goes off, you have no desire to get up. You have nothing to get up for. But that's going to change. It's going to change today by simply asking Christ to be your Savior. So whatever it is, bound, I'm going to count to the number three. And when I come to three, I want every man, lady, boy, or girl to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I know God. I don't have peace with God. Pastor, I need God, and I need Him now bad. 
When I ask you to raise your hand, I believe hands are going to go up all over this building. And the reason I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, I pray better when I know who I'm praying for. And the Bible said we must confess before men. And this is going to be your confession right now. So while every head is bowed, when I come to the number three, I want the Christians praying while I count. I'm doing this for you to have a time to make that decision up. And when I come to three, I believe hands are going to go up all over this building. I see people just sobbing in their seats right now. Get ready. One. Every eye closed. Two. When I say three, from the left to the right to the front to the left of this building, in the balcony, hands are going to go up. Are you ready? Put them up now. Three. My goodness. This is the best response of any service. It's wonderful to see so many of you. Because today it's all going to change. I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer. It's called the prayer of repentance. And the Bible said when it's prayed with a genuine repentant heart that God hears and God forgives. So will you all join me? I want you that raise your hands for prayer to join me. And you that already know God, I want you to join. I want this to sound loud like thunder. So with a full throat, repeat after me. Dear God, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. You said, dear Lord, that if I would ask you that you would forgive me. And I believe you, Lord. I repent of my sins. Today I give my life to you. I want you as my Savior and my Lord. So thank you for coming into my heart. I want to serve you, God, the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a good praise. Give the Lord a good praise. Give the Lord a good praise. Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.